Welcome to the Peace Building Podcast. Join host Susan Coleman as she interviews today's most creative, courageous, and sometimes outrageous mediators, coaches, entrepreneurs, and out-of-the-box thinkers whose work, whether intended or not, is building peace. Tune in for 45 minutes of pure inspiration as we explore the best stories, the best practices, the best ideas of a new world emerging. Here's your host, global consultant, coach, facilitator, and mediator, Susan Coleman. Nagme, hello. This is Susan. Uh, how are you? Excellent. Thank you. Hi, Susan. It's yeah. lovely to be here with you. It's Don't lovely you? to, to uh, see you. I don't see you very often. And uh, how are those beautiful kiddos of yours faring? Oh, yes. They are growing up. It's definitely fascinating to see. <laughs> One of them I have a special attachment to because I knew him when he was just a little being inside you when we were in Gabon together. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we had yes. to negotiate the authorities about <laughs> making sure that you didn't take your, you not have to take a yellow fever shot. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing, huh? Yeah. That's right. it's an, and how old is he now? Four and a half. Four and so a half. My yeah. goodness. I know, it really does. Wow. So I have with me Nagme Sobani, and I'm just going to give you a few um, excerpts from an amazing bio. And uh, so let me just do that. And so Nagme is a post-conflict peacebuilding, collaborative negotiation, and education for peacebuilding consultant with expertise in developing and monitoring large-scale initiatives, especially within fragile divided zones, as well as training and facilitation, participatory inclusive processes, including disputing group, involving disputing groups, excuse me. Um, Ms. Sobani's insight into the field of, of peace building began as director of a humanitarian nonprofit organization, Education for Peace Institute, of the Balkans based in Sarajevo. In this capacity, she has 12 years of leadership and organizational experience in the development and rollout of an education for peace building intervention, namely education for peace in a divided post-conflict society uh, in Bosnia and Herzegovina, mainly. And then a few other things. I mean, it's, it's, it's a long, rich bio, which of course I'm gonna post um, on, uh, on our website. Um, but some of the organizations Nagmates worked for has been, have been UNDP Crimea, Oxfam, UNESCO, Northern Ireland, and, and Winpeace Greece. Uh, she's worked as a trainer in collaborative negotiation um, for the UN Secretariat. Um, she also has a big job as an ongoing peacebuilding consultant for UNICEF's Division for Humanitarian Action and Transition. Um, she was selected as part of a team of three experts responsible to design the organization's conflict sensitivity and peacebuilding capacity development program to be launched globally. Yeah. Uh, education, she has a master's in leadership and management um, with a minor in consultation and conflict resolution at Landeg International University in Switzerland. Um, she also is a co-active CTI coach uh, she's been trained in principle-based negotiation from the Harvard Negotiation Project. And um, she's in the process of writing her doctoral dissertation, <laughs> lucky her, on her work in Bosnia and Herzegovina. 
She's a born citizen of Burkina Faso, West Africa, and she's originally from Iran. And now I believe you live with your husband and two children in Brussels. Exactly. That's right. Is yes. that where we're finding you today? Absolutely. Okay. As of today, yes. As of today, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another globetrotter that we have here. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, anything, uh, I mean, I think you're probably going to fill out that uh, bio as we talk, but is there anything that particularly you want to mention as we, as we get going? No, I think you pretty much covered it. Um, it's not, I mean, I think it's, a, it's really a privilege to have the opportunity on the one hand to really be so intimately with the field, um, engaged in the process of peace building and it's the programming angles of it and, and how, it, it, how it interacts with um, the human dimension, you know. And, uh, and on the other hand, to just be able to have a space with colleagues in the international community um, to understand how do we go about uh, interventions in such a way that we don't put aside the human dimension, especially in fragile zones and conflict zones. So it's these two, two different areas that really, um, really allows you to be in a very privileged space um, to uh, engage in the field, I guess, of peace building. Right. You know, as we get underway too, uh, I've been discovering, uh, you know, in my in my new role here as interviewer. <laughs> That I also like to know, like, um, what, just, just if you could, you know, what are the things that are most important that, that you want to talk about in these, in the 45 minutes that we have? I mean, we don't, we're not exactly limited to that, but we more or less are. So just mm. if you could name them uh, so I can, because I, of course, have my own things I want to ask you, but uh, mm. if you just kind of give them topic headings or something, um, mm. uh, that would be good. Or maybe there's just one main thing you yeah. really want to be talking about. I think it's interesting. Maybe for me, just uh, I'm sure you have a good little bucket. Um, but there's one thing that for me is always fascinating, and that is allowing the discourse around the conflict discourse to really infuse a uh, uh, with precision a, a very strong space for how when we talk about constructive outcomes from conflict context, what is it that um, allows that outcome to happen? And for me, it, this is where the whole peace building work uh, comes into play because it is what, when we do have outcomes that are creative and, and constructive, it is because there is a new, there's a new paradigm or there's a shift in understanding or there's new capacity that's developed around and there's a new understanding that we are not only are we are um, we could be we can go from a perception of incompatibility to the possibility that maybe we need to be able to engage with one another so uh, for me really this 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 uh, the conflict discourse to really place and situate um, the whole discussion about the dynamics of peace building that is really at the heart of going towards a constructive outcome so what are the ingredients that really make that happen? And also, I guess I'm also going to be interested in, in what gets in the way. Right. Um, you know, what's been your experience? Because exactly. I think the listeners will really be interested in both what's working and what, yeah. and what's, what seems to be challenges mm -hmm. that need to be addressed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so it doesn't just happen suddenly that things become constructive. There is some hard you know, there's a whole process that gives way to that outcome, you know, that needs to be, you know, it needs to be given weight and needs to be understood for us to 
you know, to, to go into a new um, phase of uh, engagement as individuals that come together with diverse backgrounds and, and really from, uh, from unjust in an un, uh, from an unjust place to a place where there is reconciliation, right? right. So there's there's a whole wave of things. So yeah, I mean, I think right. that's all of us in peace building. That's what we're trying to right, kind of, right. Okay, well, that's cool. So, um, you know, one thing I wanted to start with, because it was so interesting, to, you know, you and I really got to know each other in Gabon when we were doing, we were doing some work for the UN. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing one of those uh, kind of inter- conflict interventions um, that was really, really interesting and uh, yeah. multi-layered. We were working with uh, the leader, the leaders, yes. a, a variety of leaders, uh, a whole group. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was a little bit of a mutiny going on, uh, and um, and uh, we were using coaching, we were using group facilitation, we were using training, yeah. and um, and you of course half of our group was French speaking and half of our group was English speaking, and you were having to deal with all the translation because. Yeah. You grew up in Burkina Faso. I think that's yes. where you really started speaking French. Absolutely, yes, yes, yes. Um, and you have a real, and you also were able to really connect to people because we were in West Africa. Just yeah. so the whole West African culture was, yes. you know, very familiar to you. And yes. so it makes me want to ask you, you know, a little bit about that rich background that you have, mm. and and maybe a little bit about, you know what you see is the seeds that were planted somewhere, wherever they were planted in you yeah. that ended up blossoming in the form of you mm. working in the field of, of peace building. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting question. I remember when I was, um, I don't know how old I was, but let's say seven. I'm not exactly sure. And I was with my father. We were living in Ouagadougou. I was actually born in Ouagadougou. And so, and uh, funny enough, actually, I didn't know at that time, but later on as I was growing up, uh, we come from a minority in Iran that um, was persecuted very systematically. And one of, the, one of the ways in which you persecute is that you actually don't give a community a right to be. So, or you don't allow them to leave the country. Or if they're, if they're away from the country, you basically take away their identities. So in this case, when we were in Ouagadougou, and at that time, actually, my father was working for the United Nations. So he goes to, after the revolution... In 82 or so, uh, he went to, uh, because his passport was expired, he goes to the embassy to just renew his passport. And they took the passport, but never gave it back to him. This is the Iranian embassy. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So they never gave it back to him. So overnight, the, we became without anything, you know. And, and the same thing with my, my father had his, uh, his mother, my grandmother, um, had his uh, four sisters, yeah. you know, I mean, so on. So, yeah. so it's interesting just to see the, 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 the way in which... Gives me, um, it gives me chills. I mean, I, you know, that's yeah. never been my experience to be suddenly contained. Yeah. I mean, in that way where, where yeah. I can't leave. Or I'm but being... just, to see, just to see how do you respond to that and, and the resilience of the human being and the human spirit... To not only um, move forward, but yet to say this is the challenge that we face in injustices. And that the point here is to really do an extra effort to actually serve humanity and really and truly do your part. And, and so, and, and of course, in this context, my, my father was very much uh, engaged and my mother in, in, in work, development work uh, on the ground. And, um, but I do remember one trip 
that really struck with me when I was going to a village with my father. And as we were going... This is in Burkina Faso this In Burkina Faso, mm-hmm. yeah. And so you have to tell us how you got there, though. Because <laughs> I'm still with you in Iran, and he doesn't have a passport. So how, how did he get but, out? But this was in Burkina Faso. So you oh, see, he went me. to the okay. embassy. Yeah. I see. Okay. And so... So if you were in the country, in Iran, you, you just were not given any paper to step out. But if you were out of the country, what it meant was that you were stripped of your... Gotcha. Okay, your, I gotcha. Okay. Your, you know, any paper that suggested your you know, origin and so on. So they actually took away his passport and gotcha. never gave it back to him. So we became without a country in Ouagadougou. And because I was born in Ouagadougou, my brother was born in Ouagadougou, we, we, were, we actually had a right to be Burkinabe. So it's interesting. So that's... So that's Really, uh, my reality began in Burkina Faso, right? Mm-hmm. Although we spoke Persian. So now we're still in Burkina Faso. And this, this is on this trip just to see the, you know, uh, just uh, how, you know, how things impact a child. So as we were um, traveling, you know, in, the, in one of the villages, so he, he turned to me and he said, you see that piece of, it was like a, a rusted kind of uh, machinery, some sort of machinery that's... Uh, that's agricultural machinery. And so he was an agricultural engineer. But he said, you see that, that piece of rusted thing over there? I said, yeah. He said, you know why it's over there? It's because we didn't go about um, talking to the people in the village to understand how and consult with them to see how to find a solution to a problem. Because we didn't, we bring in an idea and we just throw it on them and then it's left just like this. That's a little microcosm of a lot of development initiatives, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, at that time. So this is early 1980s, right? Right. And he says, because you cannot go somewhere and start something in the name of helping but not engage with people from that village that know best what needs to happen. You bring in knowledge together to be able to come up with solutions and not in isolation of the people on the ground and their voices. And I actually really remember that conversation. It was very interesting. And so, and so the idea that no matter what you do, the approach you take in the, 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 the process itself, which is the human dimension, engaging people in the consultative process, in order to have any kind of effectiveness, right? So this was actually, I think, my first kind of the little spark that happened uh, on, on the one hand, uh, just practically speaking on, on, in this yeah. one. Yeah, a great teaching at the, at, the, at the age of seven when, of course, yeah. kids yeah. are suddenly really at yeah. a very different developmental moment. Yeah, Absolutely, absolutely. And on the other hand, this whole, this later on in my life, being aware of the fact that what had happened and the way my parents dealt with it in such an incredible way, in a resilient way, uh, and when what could have been something that breaks you apart, that you suddenly became without a country and so on, and you can be bitter. And I mean, it could, there's so many opportunities there, you know, where you're, but instead you bounce back and you really turn to um, doing everything you can to serve, to, to, to yeah. do things better. So, Was your mother Iranian as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's an amazing, uh, thank you, amazingly interesting story. Um, mm. So, um, yeah, so, and then, and then can you give us a little bit of your sort of journey uh, and, and that, uh, that sort of the highlights yeah. of that journey that maybe have brought us to the place where you actually put peace building on your 
business card? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because that's how how um, how long have you had peace building on your business card? How long has that been a title uh, that you actually have claimed? From uh, from two thousand. Okay. So Fifteen years. Okay. And at yeah. that time, yeah. uh, that wasn't that common, right, to put on your no. business card. No, no. Yeah, I think of you as being one of the first, really. Yeah. To it's be doing very, yeah, no. Even, even the, it's interesting because like the, the, even some, I felt, I remember at that time when you talked about peace or peace building, there's a little bit of an allergy <laughs> to the concept, uh -huh. honestly. And it's, it's interesting because at that time I was already in the field, you know, and, and for me, my, my interaction, first interaction with peace building was the fact that it was, uh, I was faced with the aftermath of, the, the war in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Um, and and what the, the aftermath of it was actually quite profoundly, um, really, it, it was, the division was really consolidated in the fact that uh, my, um, my initial, uh, uh, the, the, the mandate that I was a part of in a pilot initiative in the education sector was a tiny, meant to be, like a tiny pilot that was to engage with, at that time, with uh, school environments um, and make may, may communities that come out of the school environment and, and try to look at the three communities, the Serb, the Croat, and the Bosniak uh, communities within Bosnia-Herzegovina. And, and at that time, quickly realizing that, you know, this, this country has less than four million people but there were 13 ministers of education wow. in this country of less than 4 million. Because it was so divided that from, uh, in, and how did they make up those 13, you know? It just, you know, when there was an enclave of one area with a certain group and then the other, it just somehow, it ended up being, uh, you know, having that as a structure. And so, and these 13 ministers didn't necessarily come together to agree on anything. They had autonomy over their own area. And so it was a, it was a, it, at that moment for me, I realized to what extent, and I remember these conversations where we said, you can build as many buildings as you want, but it will come right back down unless you give attention to the mind and the heart. And, and when, where the laws that govern relationships have been so profoundly bruised and destroyed before these are addressed, before the, these fundamental assumptions, you know, that, that lives in the mind and the heart about the other. So there's this dichotomy about us and them. If you don't, and you're not willing to just create spaces that are safe, you know, spaces that allow a re-examination of these fundamental assumptions of, uh, of that dehumanizes one group against the other, that then feeds, 100% feeds and informs the policies that are uh, used, the actions or inactions, right? So, and, and the structures. So it, it starts from what's happening from within yeah. and it feeds into both systems and uh, structures and, and human interactions. So, of so, course, as so, we know, everything starts inside this human, these human brains of ours. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> All of it. Yeah. And so, and at that time, 
there was a lot of, um, I remember a lot of uh, focus on rebuilding, right? So you needed, you needed to look at, at, at uh, filling up all the bullet holes so you can say, yay, uh, we've done something. So it looks like we've taken care of what looks like uh, continuous slaughtering. I mean, what it looked, it looked like a horror, horrific space. So you physically want to build it back up. And so very little attention, very little attention was, was uh, put to this other aspect, which really is around the human dimension. But it's the human dimension and, and the, the peace-building uh, part of the human human dimension right yeah so- i am um, actually it's really re- recalling to when i was in beirut uh there was a huge this was um i don't know how many years ago quite a while ago a uh, huge amount of construction going on huge yeah. and oh. yet uh, my experience of people was that they were kind of frozen emotionally yeah, just frozen and not really access, you know, it, it kind of walled off, shut down. It's and normal. That, yeah, yeah. And part of what I, I used to, I mean, I remember, because just to kind of give you a little bit quick thing, that it was for the first time since the war, the only mechanism that succeeded in bringing all the senior advisors, what I'm talking about is all the ministers, yeah. willing to be in the same room and actually being willing to take this initiative and take it to heart and send their entire staff for the first time since the war, with full trust in a space. And I mean, I didn't know that this was the first time since the war. But someone said, by the way, this is the first time we're allowing this to happen because we trust this mechanism that you have. Yeah. And he says, because I know that what you go back to is the fundamental aspects of the human human uh, dimension around unity in the context of diversity, that you, are, you, you, you will um, cultivate and preserve this the marriage of these two right that we're at the same time part of one society at the same time our uniqueness is is um our unique identities is not disregarded right so and naturally and this is what i i remember very clearly um because that when you're in a climate that is so divided and people's uh, notions of their unique diverse uh, backgrounds they feel that in the collective it's going to be not only disregarded, but it's really, I mean, it's not safe. Then, of course, what happens is that you will get very nationalistic. Like, you start wearing a, an armor, right? So I remember observers from the international community engaging in these, these, these uh, settings that we would have with the ministers and their advisors and so on. They would kind of be shocked to say, I'm, I'm surprised at the language they're using and the interaction but the point here is that you have to first set a climate between people so they feel that it's inclusive and then and then you bring them together and then you change the whole language that's used you know mm-hmm. and you go to the more sub- subordinate kind of goals that are you know in this case you're dealing with the well-being of children right and and so on and then you ask for people to go to that place and then you and at the same time you say it's we will nurture and cultivate and ensure that your uniqueness is preserved in this collective. So it was a, and at the same time, I, so, I so realized. Let me, actually, yeah, let me interject me. for a second. Um, because I was asking you about your journey, and I think you've been starting to tell me about it. And, and maybe yeah. I, because I just want to jump right into where you are. Please. And yeah. and um, and actually have you, because you sort of have done this already, but if you wouldn't mind um, 
uh, because it sounds like you're focusing in on a, on a piece of work that you'd like to talk. Is that the piece, that's the, the work in, in, in Bosnia sounds like the work that, uh, well, or maybe, I don't know. I don't want to. Yeah. 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 But, um, uh, how would you define peace building? Uh, you know, just, mm-hmm. just your, because I see different definitions out there, but yeah. what's it, what's that word mean to you? Mm. Uh, so peace building for me, um, it, it's about engaging, um, individuals, uh, primary groups, right? Like that's at the core, and intergroups or in, intercommunities, systems and structures. So you have all of these different aspects in a creative and inclusive process, right? Where, whereby there is growth, right? And and you reestablish, you start reestablishing or establishing cohesive relationships, mm-hmm. right? In the context of human diversity. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So that's for me the dimension. So it's it's not enough, especially in um, in uh, so so what I just said means a lot of different things, right? So it means in order to to have those dimensions, and you need you need to do an, uh, you need to be able to engage in a number of things. I mean, when on structural justice, I mean, there's so many aspects right. that play. There's the, the, like the yeah, yeah. there's various elements that play out, but this is really the. And, and immediately what comes to mind is, is just from a very practical point of view, uh, what kind of contract you get, you know, who contracts with whom to do that kind of work mm-hmm. and, and, you know, how do you give them, how do you get a mandate and how do you get it going? Cause that's enormous what you just described. And mm-hmm. I'm gathering that is the kind of work you did in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Yeah. And I think this is where, you know, one, in, one thing that's interesting is that you cannot in, in, when you're engaging in these kind of climates that are so charged you can engage uh, one or the other and just random. You know, you really right. actually, if you really want to be effective, you need to be robust in the process that you're taking on. And you have to be able to look at the various aspects of the system. So from the individual, but the individual cannot stand alone. You have to be able to have individuals not in one or two, in a, in a more of a mass, right? So that because an individual alone, has, it requires so much courage to take on, you know, something. You have to also involve a community, you know, and so it depends on what sector, what you're dealing with. But you need to be able to have uh, both primary groups and, and, and intergroup dynamics that are being addressed. So the individual is functioning in their primary group and primary group, and then they're engaging with each other. But you need to facilitate it, right? So, Nagme, um, that, that work sounds like that's work we can focus in on. That, is, yes. that, is that right? Yeah. So, so what were you contracted to do? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, well, initially, uh, so in the in the at the pilot phase, the idea was really just to have that interaction between individuals that were um, in the in the um, school environment. Mm-hmm. So individuals, yeah, you have the educator, you have so you have right. the teacher, and then you have students, but not one or two. So it meant the entire school. So right. because the notion of a culture of peace um, is in. It needs to be an inclusive process. So yeah. it's not everybody. It's a little overwhelming. There's so many systems that you're talking yes. about here that it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so you have the teacher, you have management, you have um, the, even the support staff that's engaged, and you have the classroom. So you have all subject areas, you have, you have all classrooms, and then you have that same dynamic happening across the different communities. So, because so, in this context in Bosnia Herzegovina, it was actually quite divided. So you had one that was representing one community, one that was representing another community. And these communities being Serbs, yeah, like, Croats. And, and Bosnians. Yeah, and Bosnians. Yeah. It's all basically ethnically divided. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and, um, 
and so in some some contexts, maybe there was a slight representation of one, but it was minor, 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 and other places not at all. And 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 so in the initial the initial mandate was to engage with a set of schools that were from these communities with just a um, to with an okay from the ministry, right? So that, to actually have uh, a open door to actually enter the school. Yes. Because you're, you were talking about the entire school. You were yeah. talking about everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, and so at, that, at that time, this was intended to be a one-year pilot. And, so, and, uh, and we were a team in the pilot. With the uh, intention being? What was the with intention? the intention being? Uh-huh. To integrate into the, uh, into the learning process a conversation and an exploration of a culture of peace, but through the school, uh, in the classroom. Yeah. So what it, what it ended up being was that the, every subject area, every subject, not only was there a discussion about the subject, but there was also a, a, a reflection and discussion about a culture of peace. Wow. So it's really integrated into the curriculum. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And so what it also then demanded, because at the beginning they said, but wait, we have a, because it was a very traditional mode of teaching at, the, at that time. They said, but there's no space for interaction and exploration in the classroom. So they said, you need to provide a pedagogical method as well. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it meant also bringing in diverse learning methods in an interactive process in mm-hmm. the classroom to give way to a process-oriented learning uh, mode. Because as we know, process has a whole lot to do with the content. Exactly. (laughs) And can certainly impact. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then... uh, It's kind of a... It can be a a meta-pedagogy in a way that you actually are teaching about a culture of peace and then you actually are acting it out and how you're engaging with the students in the classroom. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So what it... So what started emerging from this was... um, on the one hand, you know, addressing these worldview assumptions that children have, have, have developed in their minds about us and them and all these things and trying to unpack that on the one hand. But then it also, the Ministry of Education noted that this is actually impacting um, the way teaching happens in the classroom as well, on a more fundamental level as well. So, so and then... That's on one level, so it's in. Can the you give an example? Any any examples come to mind? So, so for example, like the classroom is no longer a, tra- a traditional classroom where the where there's rote learning, you know, where the teacher stands in front and and you have to regurgitate information. You know, there's no thinking, there's no uh, creativity, there's no exploring of concepts. You know, and so in a way, it it's it's it completely changes that approach, one hundred percent, because it says it puts. It's asking of the of the teacher to revisit the way they design their lessons. Yeah. To not only address a topic that is related to to a culture of peace, but it's also uh, uh, has to do. It means that to explore that means the teacher cannot just stand there and talk. Yeah. Kids have to be able to think, reflect. It has to be experiential and participatory. One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. You have yeah, to yeah. integrate those elements in. Yeah. So 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 um, so that's in a way. So it, it evolved in in this pilot. It started on the one hand in the classroom, but then there were these spaces where to, for, for students to confirm, uh, to consolidate their understanding about a concept of a culture of peace and how, let's say, the notion of like uh, uh, unity and diversity. And, and let's say when you're talking about uh, tiny little kids in, in primary school, they're looking at, you know, they're learning about nature and the garden and flowers. Different flowers in a garden are beautiful. You, you basically give water to the same 
earth. And I mean, they just teachers yeah. started really thinking about different ways that they can explore these these concepts um, in a very creative way. Gardens That's, are amazing ways. In fact, I, I have an interview coming up with somebody who's doing work in schools oh, yeah? using gardens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they're yeah. They're, they're very That's they're very powerful uh, points of focus and you know, a lot yeah, of metaphors yeah. to be drawn. Yeah, to then the notion of like mathematics, where yeah. the idea of worldview, yeah. where you actually, when you a variable, like you put different variables that give way to a certain formula. If yeah. you change those, it changes the formula. So like, how do you? So a teacher starts exploring the notion of our mindset. Uh, it, you you actually the, the 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 lens through which you see things. I mean, really interesting ways that students had an opportunity to explore beyond their their subject matter, right? right. So so this was an initial the mandate initially uh, also included the idea of having students do this creatively in like uh, peace weeks, you know, so, and then the mayors were involved in that, you know, so it, it kind of to promote so the student becomes the teacher. But you just had this basically, this was all supposed to happen in a year's time. Right. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> then, and then as the year um, evolved, this, interaction within the school and between these schools. I mean, now you can go into this whole going into the enemies, uh, you know, going to to a peace event that's a joint national one that is in hosted. So the Bosniak school and the Croat and the would Serb. go with the yeah. Croat school, would go would, with the, yeah. yeah. So, but the work before that to even be able to make that that trip. I mean, right. so this whole process evolved in a way that actually schools that were were engaged in this felt that this cannot only involve us; it has to involve other schools. Yeah, and and so and in this interaction between the schools and their ministries, it be, it, it was brought to the attention of the ministry, these ministries that were responsible in these respective places, right? And this is how. It went from like this pilot into an entire discourse between the schools and their ministries, and then um, a, a discussion between all thirteen ministries. Wow! Who, who with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs? I mean, it just goes on. So it went right up to the top, right exactly. up to the top, right down to the bottom, right back. So it sounded like on a dialogue, yeah, on yeah. many different levels. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So then it meant that if you want to sustain this, the community is involved, the school is involved, the individuals and so on. But then the government, like, because they can backstop it. I mean, this is the point. So c creating a collaborative... Wait, what do you mean they can backstop it? What because you a government, in a space like this, if you don't have an ongoing collaborative partnership yeah. with the authorities, you every effort on this They end, can kill it at a moment's notice. Yeah, yeah I see. Uh-huh. It's very yeah. fragile. Yeah. So it needs to be owned by by the, the structures and the institutions as well. Right? right. Right. And usually what happens in these kind of spaces and because of its fragility and things, there's a lot of distrust as well, right, to mm -hmm. anything. So this um, building collaborative partnerships at all levels in this at the you know, so that there's a there's an engagement at the level of the ministry. So creating a sustained consultative process with the ministries and their representatives. The international community told us that you people seem to be able to bring them together, so why don't you create an ad hoc thing that you facilitate? Because it has been impossible to bring them together by the senior folks at the, in the international community. So mm. this is how these, these kind of mechanisms started um, developing that we started like, working on um, in this work. So that it, it began, you had on the one hand, 
the, the systems and the structures and the policies and engagement at that level, as well as these communities. So it went from like a pilot to 100 schools to 60 locations to, I mean, to the ministries engaging all their advisors and inspectors to for the first time them coming together to this interaction, you know, it, and it found... And you were using the phrase peace building at this point. Yeah, and yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and you see, what's interesting is that I found the interaction that I would have, the moments of interaction. At that time, I was very much uh, deeply involved in the local community, right? And Where were you I, living? I Where were you living at the time? I was living in Sarajevo. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then I would have moments of interaction with, um, with um, my colleagues in the international community. Mm-hmm. And what I found interesting was that there was, there was such a different, um, this feeling of enthusiasm that I felt on the ground. I would, I would often, I, what I would hear around me was such pessimism mm-hmm. around what's possible in this country. This was in, at the interna- in the international community? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Among, you know, in cocktails, mm-hmm. over cocktails mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. Like absolute, not only pessimism and like, oh, nothing is possible here. Like you go and ha ha, you know, like this, this discourse that clearly you basically handicap yourself. Because mm-hmm. if that's what I get, that's where, you know, my little, uh, if I'm a practitioner on the ground and who I interact with is this, uh, this level of interaction that doesn't in any way coach me or help me to be able to um, have a, a, a good, pers- um, a probably a, a sane perspective to help me be in the, you know, enter the field, it can impact me in a very negative way. Yeah, it can be de- very deflating. Extremely deflating. And then I saw a pattern that, you know, by, with, with this kind of approach and this perspective, it impacts the way you're working with the fields, right? If you're a practitioner doing that, it doesn't help, you know? Yeah. And then I remember one conversation where I said, you know, it's interesting because I'm wondering. Or you have to really manage yourself. Yes. So you don't absorb that and yes. you can hold on to your own energy. Oh, and yeah. Exactly. Like in coaching, you say like, uh, you know, you're, you're resourceful within, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. to do that, to do that in this very, f- these climates that are so charged, mm-hmm. You need, you need an out, you need a space as a practitioner in the field to be able to, to, um, to, uh, brainstorm and sometimes reflect and, and think through how you are feeling when you're on the ground. Yeah. Figure out, I call it juicing yourself up somehow, just getting yourself a lot more alive and like kind of watering a plant (laughs) that's dry. Yeah. And, and I remember saying, and then, oh, that's on one level. So you as a practitioner and your own inner filter, mm-hmm. because it affects your filter. It affects yeah, yeah. Your, the yeah. lens to which you see the community you're serving right. 100%. And on the other side, in my mind, I was thinking, well, how come if I take one step and it's not working, where is the, what kind of reflection are we having about Maybe it is what we're doing that's not working. You know, why is it not working? Why isn't that community or that institution or that municipality not responding to us or not Mm -hmm. willing to have Mm -hmm. a meeting with us? Mm -hmm. How come we're not creating a space where we are willing to say that maybe there's something I didn't understand? Maybe the approach I took, I I, I should have 
thought through this a bit differently. It's not the clients, it's the interveners. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. And so, and for me, I said, no, that this is where um, uh, the spark in my mind around how, from the, on the one hand, being in the field, but on the other, wanting to create a space with practitioners and members of the international community and allowing an, uh, a, a conversation to unfold, you know, where you can call it a training, you can call it whatever you want. But the idea that what, what happens is a human being, like the people we're interacting with are human beings, human entities. And, and when human beings or in, institutions are made up of individuals that come together, societies, communities, if they are, if you receive a response, you have to understand the, the, what, wh where they're coming from. Like, what is it that is my intention and my impact is not the same? So let's unpack that. Let's mm -hmm. understand it, right? Mm -hmm. And let's understand that. So, for example, I remember observing a, a meeting that, where religious leaders were brought together. And I said, my gosh. And it was this, like, back and forth, you know, just horror. Was like it's terrible, mm -hmm. and someone asked me. Said, "What do you think?" And I said, "Well, you really want to know what happened before this meeting? What kind of preparation happened with each one of these mm -hmm. uh, individuals that were then brought together? Mm -hmm. What kind of framing was set that allowed them to feel that it is inclusive in this collective? You suddenly brought them together mm -hmm. in a climate that's so um, charged. You cannot do that." So, because if human being, because human beings are not machines, you know, human beings are human beings. Mm. And especially when there's an events that happen, acute events, it profoundly affects people's filters and worldviews and mindset, mm -hmm. profoundly. Mm -hmm. So you have to be, you have to allow climates to be, to be and, and the frame of engagement needs to be carefully thought through before you even open your mouth about anything that's right. related to the work that you want to have, the mandate you want to... Uh, so much of the work is before you actually get anybody in the room together, exactly. as we know. Exactly. Yeah. And so this is where this bridge between being in the field and then saying, okay, yeah, I really want to interact in that mm -hmm. kind of a space as a consultant, as a trainer, as a, mm -hmm. you know, where, where let's, and, and because I, I um, so because I come from a programming angle in these kind of fragile settings, it's natural. And when I hear challenges around like even programming related challenges that facing in conflict context and then peace building work and how do you put all these pieces together? It's, you know, it's, I get it. You know, I understand. But then I, I for me, I was so passionate about this aspect of accompanying and, and, and just being a, a little soundboard around with, with my colleagues, like in the international community. It, it evolved from these, these observations that I would have, you know, in the field. So, Nagme, when you, when you think about this, uh, um, this whole piece of work, and I don't know, when, when did it start in 2000? And, yeah. and, and it ended? Did it end? 2013. Okay, so it went for 13 years. Wow, yes. it's a long, yeah. long piece of work. <laughs> um, yeah. So when you think about it, like what feels to you that were the real successes of this and what feel to you like the things that were obstacles or uh, things that really you feel either frustrated about or that were challenges or that you really like to see done yeah. differently? Yeah, I think uh, one is that I what's What's frustrating is that the extent... Or maybe of, first, um, first talk, the, how about first talk like the success? Like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the successes for me, I mean, I think that's what kept me for 13 years in, in, in being present on the ground. And of course, uh, if I, the 13 years I was on the ground on the one hand, and then... So you were like, in Sarajevo for 13 years. 
I was eight years in Sarajevo uh, uh, fully, and then okay. for the rest, I was doing the I was um, commuting. commuting between New York, uh, Brussels, and, and Sarajevo. Okay. So because at that point, it actually the focus changed to the government's uh, advisors and inspectors as our our teams. You know, okay. the, the teams uh-huh. were really from within, from right. that. Right. And no longer like my staff of 250, you know, yeah. it, it kind of like it, it really needed to be housed at the institutional level. I think for, for me, really, what, what became a gift in terms of this, um, this, this initiative is that it allowed for me to, uh, to be heard in terms of like, because often it's so easy to, to just um, dismiss, oh, things are not possible in these kinds of spaces. It's just not possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, you're just like, and I remember this in the first year, uh, at the very beginning, oh yeah, you're just like, this is just uh, oof, shooting stars. Like, what are you talking about? You know? yeah. He's an, she's an obstructionist. She's a war criminal. He's yeah. a war criminal. Yeah. He's a this. So don't go to that minister, you know? So it is, and to Projections take Projections of pessimism. <laughs> yeah. And say, I understand that, but this is the, the, the reality of transitional countries. Mm-hmm. Yes. These people are still in authority, but guess what? Behind these, that minister is about is about uh, eighty thousand children mm-hmm. and young people that he is personally responsible with a little signature to ensure that their educational structures are shifted. You see, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. if that's the tr- that's what it is, then I'm going to look at that role, uh, and I'm going to honor that role as a minister, and I'm going to come in with a lens that says you want to do. What you want to do is this. You really want to do this, and I know you do. Mm-hmm. Rather than you are a witch, you're an obstructionist, and then asking back to my colleague, why do you think that you never get a meeting? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a like, closed door, because right. that, if that's, what you, that's the discourse, we're right. not going to go anywhere. Right, right, right. right, right. So for me, what, when, when, uh, it was really a gift in that sense, because it allows... For, for to, it, it allows for there to be a discussion about, like, let's just get granular about it, you know? To, about, show, to show people yeah, what's possible here. What's if, possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and that, that we can engage in a, in a conversation, a brainstorm, to mm-hmm. understand what are the possible options that we can take, you know? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and how can we begin to do that from within? Not mm-hmm. have it be coached from outside, but let's build frameworks that help us revisit these, these realities as practitioners in a way that becomes where we become more resourceful, like we, we become more creative, right? Was the word peace building to that community at that point a new word for them? Say it again, say it again. Oh, was, the uh, word, was the word peace building a new word for many of the people in the international community that you were engaging with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that even the notion like saying peace, anything that's peace was like very, seemed very fluffy, you know, in that yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, like, oh yeah, like, right. <laughs> yeah, you're going to, and be like, oh yeah, so let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya kind of thing, you know, which you're is right. so, such a disservice to that, you know, I, I mean, anyways, it's fine. But this is where it was, it's always has been, it was seen as a soft, and this goes back to this challenge. And this is where I, I wish and I hope that and there is an emerging understanding little by little that in it is the amount of energy that i had to use to convince uh the 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 ones that provided <laughs> the whole sea of 13 14 you know countries that gave a little uh, you know like a tiny speck of right. money Right. Because they were allergic at that time to the notion of like something that's soft, right? right. It's process. It's right. not a quick fix. Right. If that could have, you know, 
uh, if we can more quickly understand that for reconstruction, processes of reconstruction in, in these settings, it cannot, it cannot put aside the, 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 the whole human aspect of it, right? Yeah. We can, and, and that it all happens in a, in a, in fact, it is the human aspect right, of it. That comes yeah. first, you mm -hmm. know, and so, and, and to be willing to have a, a coherent, um, strategic discussion about these things mm -hmm. rather than having random people like screaming it on top of their lungs and needing to just, you know, walk through to, to convince, to convince, you know, and then have headquarters be convinced in so many <laughs> phases, you know. So, that so let me see, one of the things that feels like a success to you is that, it, first of all, that you went on for 13 years, that they stayed engaged for 13 yeah. years, that you had a voice in terms of using these kinds of approaches that were systemic, that were relational, yeah. that, were not, uh, that were not necessarily the hard stuff, but were the soft stuff. The focus was on the people yeah. and building relationships. Um, and, and I don't know if there's anything more you want to, I mean, it's, it, was there any kind of measurement or follow-up or often there isn't, and there isn't budgets for these things, but are there any either anecdotal or kinds of assessments that showed you what kind of impact there was? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the beauty of it was that, I mean, it, at that time, especially it was a lot of experimental, you know, so yeah, we had, we used the, you know, uh, various approaches to, to, uh, a qualitative way of, um, trying to understand people's like experience of it and how it evolved in uh, different phases. So we had that, um, most significant change kind of approach, you know, to, to actually with, uh, with Columbia teachers college actually did a little pilot to kind of come up with instruments to, in a more quantitative way around. Was that with Christopher? Yes, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. So, and with Lowe, the team yeah. at the professors at, at Teachers College, they actually did a whole a piece, you know, in, in, in the work we were doing in, in, in Bosnia. And, and for is that, me... Is that uh, something that we could post on the website? Is that available publicly or, or is that something... Is that, we can see. We can yeah. see. We can okay. see what aspect of it is. And I think there's some articles that came out of that. But then also yeah. some like specific learnings around certain instruments that were kind of like that evolved and were developed in that, in that interaction with this project. And, um, and, then, and then, of course, uh, then you had, uh, like, practically speaking, you had the, the concrete engagement of two communities in, let's say, when, when, when the government actually was interested in themselves being engaged, so the ministries and their pedagogical institutes. We had one city uh, where there's, there's actually a street and the two communities are not engaging with each other. I mean, it's, it's actually in Mostar. I don't know if you've heard about the city. Mm. And so, but in, and you had one pedagogical institute you know like the the on each side but you know we, i remember one of the osc observers for the first time looking at these two pedagogical institute advisors working together and literally bringing schools from both sides where they were facilitating not my team i mean mm -hmm. they became our doing an entire uh, workshop and training and, uh, to, you know, like lesson planning, you know, these are all very, uh, they're very tangible things that you are doing in this interaction that is really shows ownership, right? Ownership at that level. But of course, for me, when you're dealing with, uh, fragile climates, it's, it's, um, it requires a long time. Like you need to accompany it for a long time. And, it would be, I think, at some point for me, it would be good to be able to to go back and continue a bit, you know, the 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 work and kind of uh, build a momentum uh, where 
where you mean now now yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. because um i hear stories about them referring to the experience of education for peace when you see a random person here that says "Ah, education for peace yes of course i know about it Mm -hmm. so it's a it's something that was so unique in the sense that it it allowed these communities and institutions to see themselves in a different light because these mechanisms allowed them them to to engage in that light but with these this fragility you have to sustain it for a very long time. And I think that it, it, it needs to continue, you know? So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. long-term, not, not yeah. five years, not 10 years, no. but really, gen- I mean, really generations, exactly. you know? I mean, exactly. to really make something like that grow yeah. and evolve to a whole other different level of consciousness. Exactly, especially when it's that divided, right? We have yeah. 13 ministries that don't yeah. interact with each other. Right. So only when you're setting these mechanisms where they're, you know, uh, just to give you an example, in this one session where the authorities were standing from these different entities, one stood up and said something and the other said, I wasn't talking to you. You see, this is a this tells you that they they need a reference point to, to that that for more than just a uh, right. short amount yeah, of Yeah, I'm often, you know, just when you think about the enormity of things like this, uh, I don't know if you know the process of EMDR. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's uh, just for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, it's, it's, a, it's a form of intervention, therapeutic intervention that deals with trauma. And, you know, you imagine a society like Bosnia-Herzegovina that had that much trauma, fi- finally the fighting ends, and, and then you can set up structures, you know, you have your, your intervention that was a whole education for peace, but then you have people's internal psyches and all the healing that needs to go on in people's internal, internal psyches, without which they're very likely to reproduce things, because we know that happens. Unless people actually heal things, remember things, process them, they unwittingly will, will reproduce yeah. something that they may not want to reproduce. Um, mm. So... Yeah. So Nagme, so okay, this is so. So it came education, and you called it education for peace. That was the yeah. name of the project. Yeah. And does it still exist today? Yeah, I mean, it's now more uh, the institutions, so the ministries themselves. Yeah, it doesn't have the name, okay. but we need to be able to go back and literally see to what extent in those um, the the plans that were set in in that the ministry, ministerial level how those things have evolved. Also, one of the challenges is when you have uh, uh, ministries change, like ministers change. And so yeah. you have to, that some right. of those things that have to be maintained. Oh, yeah. So at this phase, I don't know to what extent, I know there's all these um, advisors that are across the, the country that are, that uh, some are, some uh, are not yet, you know, they're new and they not they were not necessarily um, privy to that whole training program that, that their colleagues were a part of. So, so this is why I feel like uh, it's such a thing um, for it to really build ground. I mean, 13 years, yes, but still, we were at a very special place by that, at that point. where. Why did it come to an end, or why did your engagement come to an uh, end? So me, it, it's more like um, it just, uh, just practically speaking, you know, uh, the funding you know, to, to maintain things was just it kind of was became it became very very difficult so so for sure the ministries were mainly doing the work you know but we were still present so yeah. that presence means a minor presence but still like a certain presence and that's yeah. what i mean like just yeah. physically being present yeah. um I, it really helps to kind of just build the momentum so so for sure there's elements there but you know i um 
and I get sometimes, you know, information about it. I, I got like, uh, it's interesting because I, I got a report from a ministry about how, what are the elements of uh, what, how they've integrated certain things in the Peace Week. And, you know, so it's interesting because um, I think I'm underestimating how much probably yeah. is present for yeah. sure. Yeah. So on the one hand, uh, I think if I were to summarize is, is that this project happened. It yeah. happened over 13 years. It seemed to institutionalize something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not completely clear to you because you haven't been able to go back and assess, but it really did institutionalize a whole other way of thinking yeah. about yeah. integrating three very divided groups yeah. um, and probably more than, you know, but three main divided groups. Yeah. And, um, and probably if you had to say your, your, your biggest frustration um, is that is is the time frame? Is that really these things take longer? Even yeah. thirteen years, while it seems like a long time, it's really not, not. given the depth of what happened and the depth yeah. of how that impacts human beings, and uh, and what's needed exactly. over time. Exactly, Does that seem like a fair summary. Absolutely, and when we talk about peace building, if you truly want to engage in that, you know, in an intervention, it really you need to see it not as an isolated thing. You need to be able to have a, a sustained. Yeah. Uh, presence um, and 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 con- of course accompanying uh, institutions in even even a more sustained way yeah. um, to do it from the ground up. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think n- now for me, like uh, I'm bringing another uh, aspect to what I'm doing now, which I'm very excited about. Which is that? That's where I was going to go next. Is what yes. are you most excited about right now? <laughs> and we we are running a little bit, you know, hitting our time boundary. But I want to hear that. Like, what yes. what's most exciting to you? Right? For yeah. me. I think it's uh, phenomenal that um, you have institutions like UNICEF that have a mechanism on the ground, sustained presence. And when we talk about peace... What do you mean mean by a mechanism on the ground? What are you talking about specifically? So it's an entity that is alive, that is present, that is works on an ongoing basis. UNICEF, for example, I work with, I mean, quite a lot now. it, it, this is not a something that needs to be developed from the ground, you know. It it, yeah. it has it is part of a bigger, you know, chapeau. You know, it's yeah. It's, I noticed now that UNICEF actually is often doing things that are under the banner of peace building. Exactly. And that didn't used to happen. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, the, and the point here in in this um this particular uh, initiative that I'm very very excited about um is uh, is the idea that you know. It's quite a mammoth undertaking. What is this initiative, actually? Yeah. Let me tell you about it. So, mm-hmm. so, um, so uh, UNICEF is um, trying to position and situate peace building as, as an important element of the way uh, we roll out programs. So UNICEF engages with a, with a, with a country, you know, in, in the work, in the delivery of the social services, that it does. So, for example, um, UNICEF works with the Ministry of Health, works with the Ministry of, of Education, works with you know various entities, structures, and so on, as well as local partners, as well as uh, you know communities, um, to provide vaccinations, to provide water, to provide you know uh, some educational um, uh, resources, to provide. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on. The early yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. development. I mean, mm-hmm. just to understand the the scale 
of its engagement on the ground. Right. Child protection. Mm-hmm. Child protection. I mean, mm-hmm. when you really think about it, it's right. quite profound. So, okay. especially in, in uh, fragile contexts and, and conflict contexts, that presence is, is, uh, is, is key. And, and, when, and it, it is, it is um, positioned in a very um, special way to not only, on the one hand, not do harm by the way it does things, you know, but also to do even more good because at the, because it engages with individuals, they're the, the child, the, the infant, the, the youth, the adolescent, the caretaker, the social service provider, the communities. So it engages with these platforms that, so that if that's the case, then while it is, so I'll give you an example. So while you provide boreholes in a community, first of all, you have to understand uh, who is there, you know, and what has been the conflict dynamics there. Yeah. So you ensure that you don't build this borehole in a place that's going to actually create fuel more tensions right. on the one hand. Right. But then maybe it can do more. Yeah. It can be, it can allow this, me- to. It, it can build a mechanism where, with the involvement of the institutions as well as the communities, they ha- they manage the borehole together. What is a borehole? Just so it's like a, you know when you um, just uh, you uh, you um, I was going to get uh, start speaking French now. Um, when you um, uh, it's okay. You can speak French. You can say it in French, and maybe I'll help you out here. <laughs> so it's an entry, you know. Um, so it's it, like uh, is it you, is it for water? Yes. There yes, you go. you're digging a well <laughs> for water. Yeah. There yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So while you're doing that, so that it's uh, first you engage the communities in, in a consultative process that it's inclusive, so people yeah. take ownership of it. So they start engaging with one another from diverse communities. But then, how about uh, they, you go further and have a mechanism where they are actually managing this this borehole together? Yeah, yeah. Where they start, you know, uh, building that capacity to be able to resolve certain issues that are conflict issues that happen around this. Right. Right. It's not a matter of simply giving a piece of technology exactly. or engaging in some kind of a specific development initiative. It's about exactly. really managing the relationships that are happening around exactly. it, because all of those things can really either help or hinder. Exactly. Uh, depending so, on how they're managed. Yeah. Precisely. So at the same time as you're delivering uh, in an equitable way, you can uh, build cohesive relationships. You can actually contribute to building yeah. cohesive relationships. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's this, so, so this, um, uh, we're designing, I mean, designing this whole, uh, this particular section that, uh, that um, you've, you just, you mentioned, so it's Hatis. It's it, designing an entire, um, training kits and package and guides and and with uh, um, like a whole training architecture for UNICEF staff at the country office level across sectors so that from the beginning to the end in the programming process you are able to integrate uh, this into your work right yeah this is amazing, Nagme, and, I, and I'm sorry to actually start saying that we need to wind down, um, but I'm really certain that I'm going to say, can you come back uh, another time and we'll talk more about this as a, as a second, as a second yes. episode, because sounds- it sounds totally interesting, and I'm sure the listeners would like to hear a whole lot more about it. So um, maybe as we bring this one to a close, um, what... Uh, 
What would be, do you have any advice for people that are interested in getting into peace building or doing this kind of work? Uh, any, or any, any, um, anything that you comes, comes to your mind that you think, uh, words of wisdom. Mm. I think uh, one is to come with an attitude of, um, of humble learning, you know, that to be willing to, to give it a whirl, you know, and, and say that because this field is, has not uh, reached perfection. It's, it's really a, a we're It's really a new, together. don't you think of it as yes. a new field? I mean, it's exactly. really, yeah. So to really be, be kind to yourself <laughs> as you engage in it and be willing to learn on the one hand and be willing to also explore and to um, experiment and to be willing to have conversations to uh, not to just take something and say, okay, from, from like academia, it tells you something and you say, okay, so that's how I should think about it. You know, so you uh, listen to your inner voice because peace building, I think, is a, is a topic that every one of us is, has something to say about it because it really touches the very heart of our humanness, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so and in every one of our interactions and in every one of... Uh, of our, you know, moments of reflection, we are privy to an insight around peace building. And so to be willing to, to, uh, to, to um, um, champion that mm-hmm. and share it and, uh, and, and, and um, yeah, and, and really, and not be allergic to it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, do you think uh, the field is growing? Yes. Why do you think that? Say, could you say a little bit about that? Yeah, and, where do you, and where you see it maybe in five, ten years? Like, where do you, what do you think is happening to this field? Yeah, because um, I think that for me, I remember, because uh, 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 like ten years ago, I remember part of the al- allergy was that when you say peace building, when you say peace, is like, oh, yeah, is it going to be boring because everything is dead because there's no more creativity? And so I said, in fact, it's the contrary. It's about um, being willing to say that the clashing of ideas and, uh, and opinions and diversity and everything are, are not only, are, are really, are how, are not only, a, they're not a threat, they're actually what we need for things to grow. And, uh, and that this is a, and we have to be willing to explore the concepts around the notion of peace building, where I feel like 10 years ago it was a bit dismissed. You know? Yeah, peace building is, is essentially systemic mediation. And, yes. And I don't think Precisely. people ever say that mediation is boring. But, exactly. you know, Precisely. <laughs> but um, they, whoops, my. Um, exactly. Yeah. And I think that, and I think there's more of a recognition, and maybe because now I'm looking at the development aspect of it, because in development work, we're starting to realize that you cannot go about just delivering things and doing things without looking at this dimension of the human interaction. Right. You, you have to, because you will have bottlenecks. I mean, you, will, you won't be effective in your work. So, so I think there's more and more of a, like an open space uh, to... To the to where in terms of where to position uh, the whole concept of peace building and so yeah I think that it's it is, you cannot compare really to how, how what it what it um, the the reaction you would you would have you know um, before and now and often you know before it was it was seen as you know like the the, the soldiers like the peacekeeper keepers and yeah. it's that kind of it's about security it's about the the keeping the parties apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's how it was viewed. And so, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that institution does it, and that's it, you know? Right. And then it kind of has evolved. 
the discourse right. around it has evolved. Right, that there's so much to do yeah. way beyond just keeping one party on this side of the line and another party on exactly. that side of the line. There's a lot <laughs> of knitting to do, of it, knitting societies and... Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So it has evolved in that way. Yeah. So, um, well, listen, I, I was going to, you know, I was going to ask you the vision question and the money question, but I think I'm not going to ask those things because of the time. And you also have sort of talked about the vision, you know, the, the vision question being like, is, is peace boring? You've, you've, mentioned, you've mentioned a lot about that and about how really for you, there's so much to do. There's so much action that needs to happen uh, that there's nothing about this. That this is a this is a very engaged uh, yes. concept, not a passive one in any Precisely. way. And uh, one that you know, in terms of the money question, you know, it needs it needs funding and support and yeah. resources because Lord knows, I, I mean, you know, I'm always looking at the amount of money that, that yeah. the world economy is spending on the military. It's like trillions and trillions of dollars, and yeah. um, and of course, there's a lot of money being made and. Uh, and there's always the question of can money, can people make money, can people make a living off of, off of um, doing this kind of work? Um, and I don't know if you have any comments about that or what you could imagine could be possible in terms of how people can, you know, how we could expand how people could make a living doing this kind of work. Do you have any mm. thoughts about it or? Yeah, no, I think that one is uh, there's, uh, uh, I think institutions have to not uh, uh, put, ish, uh, put in their budgets this as a side thing. I think it needs to be, you know, be part of the way we do things, you know, in terms Integrated, of like capacity, right, yeah, right, capacity really building in. around this area. You know? right. so I think once that also happens, it's really going to help folks like us that are trying to like uh, bring, you know, anything, you know, in any way, contribute in any way to that. It really helps because yeah. on our end, definitely there's a, there is a struggle um, to to in this conversation between you know us as consultants and then and our uh, the the you know our clients uh, and really saying that no you, you know this is something that you need to give weight you know right and right. not disregard and 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 put aside and and so on yeah so I think that that uh, it will continue to be a struggle unless it just becomes really a part of how. How right. you build your budgets, you know, right, on an right, ongoing right. basis. This kind of systemic engagement yes. of diverse groups that have the potential to get into conflict, and with that systemic uh, engagement, it's it, you're preventing and and helping them create much more dynamic society together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, um, I'm assuming that the way that listeners can reach you will be is, is on your bio. Uh, is that yes. the best? Is that the best way if people want to reach so, out? I think so. Email. Yeah. Okay, and and uh, and your email. Uh, oh. Do you want to say what it is, or I, yeah, I mean, sure. should I say it's? Uh, yeah. I think it's my name, pretty much. Narmed.sopani at cglobal.com. Um, Okay, and uh, that will be on the website if anybody yes. wants to reach out to you. And Nagme, listen, thank you so much for your participation. Pleasure. I think there's a lot more to say. Uh -huh. So I think you're going to have to come back and we'll do another round and maybe talk more deeply about what you've been doing for UNICEF in recent years and, and, uh, and all of that. But Susan, so. I just want to also say that I think that you have so contributed so profoundly to the to the field, and it is really a privilege and a pleasure to have this conversation with you because um, I have uh, so much respect for for what you have done over the decades and decades. You know, really honestly. So thank you so much for giving for thank you for saying that. That's very kind. Yeah. Honestly. Thank you. It's All right. A
until right. we t- until we meet again. Yes. A bientôt. Adieu. Yeah. <laughs> Ciao. Uh, Bye. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Peace Building Podcast. Check out thepeacebuildingpodcast.com for show notes and for more great information and resources. We like your feedback, comments, and suggestions. Please email them to Susan Coleman at susan at thepeacebuildingpodcast.com. And come join us again for next week's episode for more great thinking, innovations, and ideas to take our planet to the next level.